0: Our reading tonight is from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly,
1: Thank you very much, Rachel. Uh, do keep those verses open, either in your Bibles or in the, in the sheet there, and uh, let's pray as we come to God's Word together. Father, we thank you for planning for us to hear this part of your Word today, and Lord, we pray that you would supply us with everything we need by your Spirit to hear, uh, to rejoice, and to obey Uh, what you set out for us. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, what would be an ideal gift for you to receive when lockdown and all restrictions end? What would help you enjoy life and really make the most of your newfound freedom? Perhaps it might be somebody out of the blue gifting you a round-the-world plane ticket so you could explore the planet, all expenses paid. Or maybe someone gives you an executive box at Wembley Stadium for all the European Football Championship matches. Or a box at the, the Royal Albert Hall to enjoy a year's worth of music. Somewhere where you just turn up and you say your name, and they say, Ah, yes, Mr. McKenna, we've been expecting you. Here, you, we've got the best seats for you. We've got your favourite drink ready for you at half time. Uh, and there you go. And you're coming next week again, aren't you? Would you like us to send the car? Or maybe you'd just like a gift that was a bit more realistic and practical for you to enjoy. Maybe a year's membership to the National Trust or RHS or even just a year's supply of free petrol so you could just go wherever the mood takes you. What would be your ideal gift? Now say you received that gift when restrictions lift and then you and I met up and we had a conversation in about a year's time and I asked you, so how was it? How was the football? How was the music? How was the trip? Where did you explore? How are the gardens looking? And you looked at me a bit sheepish and said, ah yes, the gift. That, that was indeed an amazing gift I received, but I haven't quite got round to making use of it yet. I'd still like to do those things, but maybe another time when I'm more in the mood for it. I think if you said that, I'd be wanting to have a a friendly but serious conversation with you about whether you'd really appreciated the gift you've been given. What do you mean you didn't go? In Hebrews so far, there's been some pretty deep teaching about Jesus. Quite a lot to get our heads around. But we are not told, told all these marvelous things about Jesus just so we might know some good theology in our heads. No, these truths have real-life application. They mean something for us in the way we live. They, they make a difference in down-to-earth ways. Being a Christian isn't just about believing and knowing certain things, but about living out those truths. And so our passage this evening summarizes wonderfully at the start just the phenomenal extent of what Christians have in Jesus, what we have in Jesus. And then it calls us to regularly... Make use of all that we have in him. Jesus is the gift that is greater than any we could receive after lockdown. So let's show how much we appreciate this gift by enjoying and by making use of all that we have in him. These verses clearly show us two things that we have uh, and three things we should be doing in response. So there are two we haves towards the start and there are three lettuces later on. Not the iceberg type, but the, you know, come on, exhortation, let's do this type. So first of all, what do we have? We have two things. We have access. We have access. Verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. We have Access into the most holy place. Little, insignificant, sinning, suffering, stumbling Christians like me and you. We are welcomed in. We have access to God's own presence, to the holy place, to to meet with him, to enjoy him to relate to him, to commune with him, to know and experience his love and goodness towards us. Isn't that amazing? Verse 19 says, we have confidence to enter this most holy place. But notice how wonderfully this confidence is not a subjective thing. It's not based on how confident you or I are feeling on any given day about approaching God. No, this confidence is not based on our feelings, but it's based on the blood of Jesus. See there, end of verse 19, we have this confidence by the blood of Jesus. So It's his once-for-all sacrifice that Daniel mentioned earlier that never needs to be repeated. That, that is the source of our confidence to approach God in the most holy place. And the way we approach God is through this new and living way, verse 20. There's a new agreement, as we've been seeing in Hebrews. There's a new covenant in Christ's blood. Unlike the old covenant, this agreement is never going to die out. It is a living way. The way is living because Jesus is living. He lives forever. And so now, as followers of Jesus, we can have confidence to go where the ordinary people of God in the old covenant could never go in the old testament in the old way in the now outdated way there was only one person the the high priest had access behind the curtain into the most holy place and only once a year but then as Christ offered himself once for all on the cross a new way a living way Opened up. As his body was broken on that cross and torn apart at that very moment of his death, the curtain temple was ripped in two from top to bottom. And now the way into God's presence for any who will come to him is through, not that old curtain, but through the broken body of Christ. He is the curtain that has been opened up for us, that we might go through him to God. We have access. And secondly, we have an advocate, verse 21. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, we have this great priest, we have Jesus, we have an advocate, someone who pleads for us, who intercedes on our behalf, who knows what it's like to be us and yet can represent us before God the Father. If it wasn't enough that we have access to God through this new and living way, then this verse gives us even more encouragement to draw near to God. Because as we do, we find our great priest there. Jesus himself. He's paid for our sins, and he bears our names into the presence of God, not just on stones and garments that he wears on the outside, but in his very being as we are in him. And he always lives, and he never stops interceding for us. So Jesus is both the curtain and the priest. He's our access, and he's our advocate. We enter God's holy presence in and through him, where he ever lives, to intercede for us. Well, before we think about how to make the most of those things, it's worth pausing and thinking about these first three verses here. How how does it help us to know that we have access to God now and that we have an advocate in Jesus? Consider the first readers of this letter. They were Christians in the first century They would have been under pressure in lots of different ways. They were following Christ, but as they did so, they found themselves at odds with pretty much every other group of people around them. Everyone from religious Jews who didn't like the way uh, they were saying that Christ is is the way to God to their pagan Roman neighbors. And for those Christians then, as it is for us, the, the temptation can be strong, if that happens, to not want to be on the margins, to not want to be on the edge of society, but to find some way of being more accepted by our neighbours, be they the religious ones or our not-so-religious neighbours. Well, when we feel that pull, when we feel that temptation come our way, let's be those who remind ourselves and remind one another of what we have in Jesus being confident that he, our great priest, will lead us safely home. This guy in our next picture is called John Chrysostom. Uh, He was Bishop of Antioch and then Bishop of Constantinople in the 4th century. Uh, And he was a man who really had a solid grasp of all that he had in Christ. And that really helped him endure suffering and persecution from the leaders of his day. One day he was brought before the Roman emperor, and the emperor threatened to to banish him if he remained a Christian. John replied, you cannot banish me, for this world is my father's house. But I will slay you, said the emperor. No, you cannot, said John, for my life is hid with Christ in God. Well, I will take away your treasures then. No, but you cannot, for my treasure is is in heaven and my heart is there. Well, said the emperor, I will drive you away from men and you shall have no friend left. No, you cannot, said John, for I have a friend in heaven from whom you cannot separate me. I defy you for there is nothing you can do to hurt me. Christian believer, you and I, we have access to God through the new and living way. We have an advocate in Jesus. He is the ideal gift we need at the end of lockdown or restrictions or any other time when life is good, when life is a real struggle. We have access to God. We have an advocate in Jesus. Well, how do we enjoy these things and make the most of them? Uh, the rest of our verses will go on to tell us. Uh, as we do read these last three or four verses here from verse 22 onwards, just note as we do so, these are not random suggestions that come from the writer here. It's not as if he's telling us all uh, that Jesus has done for us and then saying, you know, because of that, that's, that's good, isn't it? Here's, here's a few things that you might like to do for, for God and for his people. No, it doesn't work like that. It's not some sort of religious game where God gives us stuff and we give him stuff. It's not like the person who bought you that round-the-world ticket wants you to take them out for a meal. No, they want you to enjoy the trip, to enjoy the holiday, don't they? And in the same way, these exhortations here, they're, they're not random. They're directly connected to what we see we've, we have in Christ, like we've been reading. Did you know today is actually Ascension Sunday. Uh, We're just over 40 days since Easter Sunday when Jesus rose from the dead. And after those 40 days, Jesus ascended to heaven, completing this work of opening the new and living way for us, beginning his intercession for us. And you know, the best way you and I can celebrate Ascension Sunday is by doing what we're exhorted to do here in verses 22-22 to 25. Because we have an access and an advocate, so we firstly draw near to God in faith. We draw near to God in faith. See, these things are related. Uh, He says to the brothers and sisters in verse 9, since we have confidence, because we have that confidence, this is what we should do. This is how it plays out in life. We can confidently draw near to God in faith. Uh, And these verses explain more of how that is. It's because God has done something for us on on our inside uh, and our outside, on the inside and the outside. First of all, on the inside. So uh, verse 22 uh, says, if I can find it, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us From a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So as far as the inside goes, uh, these verses mention our hearts twice. Now, drawing near with sincere hearts, immediately I think, if you're anything like me, the alarm bells go up there then, and we are a bit put off with that. We think, how can we approach God? My heart's never near as sincere as it should be. But again, this isn't meant to be a subjective thing. Yes, we are to have a sincere, undivided love for God and and devotion to him and put him first in our lives, yes. But ultimately, none of us can can bring about that kind of sincerity that's talked about here. We need our hearts to be changed, to be made new, to be transformed. If you've got a Bible, just look um, just above our passage to chapter 10, verse 16. Uh, Here's one place where the writers reminded us of the promise of the new covenant. He quotes from the prophet Jeremiah, and he talks about God writing his laws on our hearts. Elsewhere in other Old Testament prophets, God speaks about taking away our hearts of stone as his people and giving his people hearts of flesh, changing us on the inside, so that when we come to him in faith, we can approach him with Sincere hearts transformed by his grace. And specifically our hearts, as we see back in uh, chapter 10 here, our hearts have been cleansed. They have been sprinkled, as it says, in verse 22. The picture here reminds us as readers of the days of Moses in the Old Testament. In Exodus 24, Moses and the people were at Mount Sinai. Uh, And after the law is given to Moses, he comes down, and he writes it all down, and he gets the book of the covenant, and he reads it to the people. And then he gets the blood, and he sprinkles it on the people of Israel, saying, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you. But here, for the readers of Hebrews and for us who have come to faith in Christ, It's not an outward sprinkling that we've received. Our hearts have been sprinkled. They have been cleansed on the inside. The inner me and the inner you has been washed. And even our consciences have been cleansed from guilt. And so in such assurance and in faith, we can approach God today... Drawing near to him regularly because of what he has done on the inside in our hearts. But also, did you notice the the outward element here too? God doesn't just save the inner you and me. He saves the whole person, body and soul. And so there's something else that can strengthen our faith and give us confidence to keep approaching God and drawing near to him. And that is, as it says here at the end of verse 22 having our bodies washed with pure water. This is referring to uh, baptism, where we're made wet on the outside as we publicly profess faith in Christ. Uh, And that is a sign of what's gone on on the inside as God has washed us clean. Our hearts have been sprinkled and cleansed. uh, And so as we profess that faith in Christ, this external washing, this baptism can also bring us assurance and can also help us to continue to draw near to God. It was a real joy to witness Anne being baptised last Sunday morning. I was struck by something she said in her testimony. Uh, she spoke about being challenged by God's word and wanting to be baptised so that she was ready to meet Jesus. Not that we're saved by being baptism baptized not that baptism saves us on the day of judgment but what it does do and what it can do is that it helps us as christians it brings us assurance it gives us a a sign and a seal of faith it helps us to continue to draw near to god as we prepare for that day in full assurance of faith so if you are a christian and you haven't already been baptized please do think about it as a priority it's a good thing to do. Yes, it's a great witness to others, but it's really good for you too. It will help you to continually draw near to God by faith. Do um, chat to Daniel or me or Kevin uh, if you'd like to talk to somebody about baptism. Well, What does this drawing near to God look like in practice? I think there are ways we can do this as a church together and also as individual Christians. As we gather together like we are doing now, we are drawing near to God together, particularly as we listen to him speaking in his word together. But we can also practice this on our own, uh, and even with other brothers and sisters in Christ. I wonder, when, when would you say that you have times where you can draw near to God? In your week, maybe, when are those times? Or even in your, your day, where, when, when are those times where you will consciously draw near to God? Or maybe where are those times where you could carve out a bit more time or, or just start going with a regular pattern to, to get into this habit of, of drawing near to God? When in those times, like we do when we gather, When you enjoy time with God, when you enjoy the assurance of the fact that your sins have been forgiven, that you're accepted and welcomed by God, when you pour out your, your heart to God, when you bring your prayers to him and your expressions of worship to him. Since we have access and an advocate, let's regularly... On our own, yes, and with others, with church together, let us draw near to God. Secondly, let us hold fast to our hope. Verse 23, let's hold fast to our hope. Uh, What are you hoping for at this moment in time? I wonder how our our friends and neighbours might answer that question. Uh, What do you hope for? A summer holiday, perhaps? If you're feeling particularly hopeful, a foreign summer holiday, all restrictions lifted, the 21st of June to come. Ah, but how certain is that date? What if a surge in a variant just extinguishes that hope and it's gone? Maybe it's just better to be British and hope for vague things. You know, well, we hope for the best. We hope that something will happen. Next year will be better. It's amazing, isn't it, how capable human beings are of surviving on just uncertain, wishy-washy, undefined hope. But the hope that we profess as Christians is anything but uncertain or undefined. It has substance. It has a reality. Uh, We sang it earlier. Chapter 6 in Hebrews tells us that we have this hope as an anchor for the soul. Our hope is is grounded firm and deep in the life and death of Jesus. In the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. In the enthronement and intercession of Jesus. And it's so real, it's so substantial, it's so certain that it's called an anchor. And so to hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, 10 verse 23 is to maintain a a firm grip, a firm confidence that this hope is real, that we will inherit all that God has promised us. Yes, that we can approach God by faith now, but that also one day we will enter into God's presence fully with great joy in glory. Just have a listen. You don't need to turn these verses up, but... It's interesting how the writer describes this hope at various points in the letter to the Hebrews. So chapter 2, verse 5, it is the world to come. Chapter 2, verse 10 says that this is the hope of glory. Chapter 4 describes this hope as being ultimate rest, God's rest. Chapter 9 talks about it being our promised eternal inheritance. It's coming to us. And later in chapters after our passage, later on in Hebrews, we're going to be told that this hope is a better country. It's a a glorious city that's going to come. And the promise of this hope is no uncertain promise. It's not a political promise. It's not a we'll have to wait and see what the data tells us promise. No, we can hold fast to this hope because of who is making the promise. See there end of verse 23? He who has promised these things is faithful. God himself is truth. He cannot lie. And because of that, we can hold unswervingly to our hope. It's really good to remind one another of the hope that we do have in Christ. Uh, We really want to do that as we gather on Sundays, like today, uh, as we read about this hope that we have in God's Word, as we proclaim it to one another in song, uh, and in the things that we might say together to confess this hope together. Uh, And the more we do that when we're together, I think the more we're helped to hold on to this hope in everyday life when our hope is challenged. Uncertainty is a really terrible feeling, isn't it? I feel like we've all felt that this year, when we don't know what might happen next or what might change next, and we just don't know what to do, and it can be so paralyzing, can't it? It can make us confused, and it sort of robs us of our purpose in life and how we should be living. And so in times of uncertainty, whether they're corporate uncertainty like COVID... Or maybe your own personal uncertainty for all sorts of reasons. Let's be those who dwell on our hope. Let's be those who hold fast to our hope. To profess this hope, uh, to to declare it to ourselves, our own hearts, and to one another. Let's put this hope before our eyes in God's Word, in our ears, on our minds, in our hearts. Just the utter certainty of where we're heading. Let's remember that he who promised these things is is faithful. And meditate on the substance of this hope. The world to come. Glory. God's rest. A city whose builder and, and architect is God himself. Hold fast to our hope. We have access. We have an advocate. So let's draw near, let's hold fast, and let's also, thirdly and lastly, consider one another in love. Verse 24. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. This is actually a bit of a tricky little verse to get the sense of in translation in English. Um, The focus is actually on considering one another. It's one another that we're, we're meant to be considering in order that we might spur one another on to love and good deeds. Um, I think that's important. Um, sorry if that kind of uh, messes with your, your head or your grammar. Um, but what this verse means is that we need to be considering others and what they need. Uh, so not just what we think they need or what we think we can do to spur people on to do things. Now, the focus is rather considering others, considering one another, so that we might spur on one another to love and good deeds. Once again, we're given a sense, an explanation of what this looks like in the next verse. So verse 25, this looks like not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. That's an interesting pair of ideas in that verse, isn't it? It's almost like there's a contrast implied between giving up meeting together on the one hand and encouraging one another on the other hand. It's a sort of not this, but this statement. There's a contrast implied. It's like these two ideas go together. In other words, if we give up meeting together, we won't be able to encourage one another. And if we want to truly encourage one another, we need to meet together. We've seen over the chapters in Hebrews that some of these early Christians were in danger of drifting away from Christ. And to help such people, the writer here shows them and he shows us another great source of encouragement and love that Christ has won for us, and that is the church. As we gather as church, we, we do so to consider one another in love, that we might strengthen one another. And just like with the, the first two exhortations here, the focus is never on ourselves. It's not on ourselves. So when we draw near to God in faith, the focus, we're not focused on ourselves, but we're focused on what Christ has done for us, his, his blood of the new covenant. When we consider our hope and hold on to that, we're not focusing on how good our hope is, but we're focusing on all that God has prepared for us. And so when we meet together, our focus is not to be ourselves and what we can or can't get out of a particular service, but on considering one another in love. If we're not doing that when we could do that, then we're all the poorer for it. Christ is one, not just individuals, but a people for himself. And one of the great blessings he gives us now to help one another reach the finish line and make it to glory is one another. So, Hebrews says, let's not give up meeting together. I know that for some it is hard and sometimes it's impossible to gather together because of illness or infirmity and occasionally other circumstances beyond our control. But that's not what's being addressed here. Please, if, if that's your circumstance, don't think that the writer's gunning for you here. The Christians that he has in mind are those in danger because they have formed the habit of not gathering with God's people. Uh, as it says there, middle of verse 25, as Some are in the habit of doing. And not only are such people putting themselves in danger, But their brothers and sisters are are missing out on the encouragement that only they can bring. Now, as Christians today, we can come up with all sorts of reasons why we can't come to church on any particular Sunday. And guess what? So could Christians in the first century as well. Life was hard for them. People were persecuting them, making their life miserable. They stood out from their families and their work colleagues. Sometimes they thought, they would just survive fine as Christians without going to church, without the hassle. After all, we're not saved by going to church, are we? So someone might say, uh, and I've heard the question many times, I'm sure you might have as well, surely I can be a Christian and not go to church, can't I? Well, the wisest answer I've heard to that question is not for long. Not for long. For it's as we gather as a local church that God provides so much to strengthen and sustain us that we would otherwise be starved of, that we would otherwise miss out on. For it is we together who are God's people. We are the temple where God dwells by his Spirit. Gathering together like this means we draw near To God in a way that we cannot do merely on our own. We together gather to hear God's word and be encouraged together. Haven't you found this last year that church is so, so much better in person than trying to watch a service online? Aren't we so much more able to glorify God, express our worship of him, focus on what's going on, understand his word, believe it, and look around and be encouraged by others. We're so much more able to do those things, even with all the masks and can't do this and can't do that, than we are on our own. And it's together, it's together with all the Lord's holy people, with all the saints, that we truly grasp God's love to us in Christ in a way that we cannot do on our own. So let's consider one another in love by prioritizing meeting together. And all the more as we see the day, the day of the Lord approaching. Life is short, isn't it? Soon faith will turn to sight, hope will become reality, and we will gather as the complete people of God before his throne and before the Lamb. So in view of all that Jesus has won for us, come to him, come to Jesus, draw near to God in faith, hold fast to your hope, go to church, love others. Now, if you did receive that year's supply of petrol that I was on about earlier to enjoy after lockdown, wouldn't it be a tragedy if a few weeks in, I spotted you pulled over by the side of the road Four-way flashes on with an empty tank. What a tragedy. A year's supply of petrol and you haven't made use of it. Well, how great are the tragedy if we don't keep going as Christian believers, encouraging one another over the finish line, for we have been given everything in Christ that we need to keep going. So let's do that, let's encourage one another, let's, let's ask one another three good things to ask about. They're here, faith, hope, and love. How are you getting on drawing near to God in faith? How are you managing to hold on to the hope that we have? How are you doing with considering others in love? Let's make the most of all that we've been given in Christ by faith, by hope, and by love. Let us pray. Our Father, we acknowledge afresh all that you have given us in Jesus. What an amazing thing it is to know that we can boldly approach you and find confidence to do so through the blood of Christ. Lord, may that spur us this week to approach you more and more with our worship, with our thanksgiving, and to hear from you. And Lord, help us to help one another to keep the hope of the gospel before our eyes and to spur one another on. Lord, we thank you that you are so generous. You provide all that we need. And we pray uh, that you would help each of us here uh, reach the finish line and enjoy the inheritance that you have planned for us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.